Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In today's episode, the old dogs ramble about boomer dissing, whatever that is. We'll also introduce you to another new feature of the Old Dogs podcast, and that is called Ads and Fads. See if we can remember some of the famous slogans of 50s advertising. We'll then turn to a little commentary on G. Gordon Liddy, that man's man of Watergate fame. We'll introduce you to a lady in her 80s who has not let the pandemic prevent her from dressing to the nines for church. We'll review the year 2020 by the numbers... We'll check in with an expert on the subject of stupidity, and then we'll give you the answer to our first ads and fads question. The Old Dog's conversation is with John Remington, a man who has had careers in both retail marketing and national fundraising and has still found time to perform as an actor. Stay with us. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, you know, Jim, what's got me fuming today is a piece that's on several internet sites titled 50 Things All Boomers Think Are Cool. Hmm. In the first place, I doubt that boomers can agree on any one thing, let alone 50. And in the second oh, place... Oh, I disagree. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and in the second place, the tone is condescending. Hmm. It's out-and-out out ageism with a smarmy tone. Hmm. So... I thought it was a good idea that you and I go through a few of the items on this list and verify whether we think the subjects mentioned are cool. It's a boomer reality check. All right. Have at it. The first topic is cursive, Mm -hmm. and the comment was, it doesn't actually help. While it may look pretty, it's an outdated waste of time. Look, I spent hours and hours in grade school practicing cursive, and so when I write a note to my wife, she can understand it. All right, Jim, so is cursive cool? Yeah. Yeah. How about China plates? Okay. Their comment was, what is the point of super expensive plates that never get used? They just take up space. Well, we have fancy plates, and we use them. Next up, Crocs. Their comment, they're easy to slip on, they're comfortable, but they don't look good. They just look ridiculous. Yeah, that's probably why I've never seen a human being over the age of six wearing them, Paul. Yeah, well, they are ugly and ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. are Crocs cool? Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Next, writing checks. Their comment, you hold up the line when you write those out in a store. Nothing says class like paying for your colonoscopy with a check plastered with puppies and kittens. How about you? Nah, no boomer writes checks. They've all got credit cards. This is false. Absolutely. So, do we think writing checks is cool? We do not. Thumbs down. How about socks with sandals? Oh. Their comment, why baby boomers seem to think tall white socks and sandals are a good fashion choice, we'll never understand. Mm. Sandals are made so you don't have to wear socks. Well, where did they get that idea? Uh, well, uh, boomers don't wear socks with sandals. They don't wear sandals. Usually they wear athletic shoes and often without socks. So, yeah. do we think socks with sandals is cool? Oh, wait, no. No, thumbs down. 
Next, fuzzy toilet seats. (laughs) Their comment, uh, please do everyone a favor and get rid of these. Nobody wants shag carpeting on their butt. Mm -hmm. Well, I can remember telling my parents the same thing, and I haven't seen a fuzzy toilet seat cover since. Yeah. So what do we think about fuzzy toilet seat covers? Absolutely not. No. No. How about giving retail workers a bad time? Okay. Their comment? Screaming at retail workers because your coupon has expired is bullcrap. Being a jerk is a terrible way to get what you want. Well, I agree, but that's not limited to any age group, is it? No. No. In fact, we may be the last generation with good manners. I agree, yes. So, do we think giving retail workers a bad time is cool? Never cool. No. Never. And finally, patterned sweater vests. Their comments, vests have never been cute, and patterned vests are just downright gross. Where are these people getting these opinions? They must be watching old black and white movies. Yeah, really. There certainly should be better things to get angry about, don't you think? Yeah. All right, Jim, a final thought. Yeah, Paul, I never think it's cool to make fun of any group of people, no matter what their age is. Uh, What do you think? Well, I I agree. It's just too easy to make fun of old people because it's easy. (laughs) (laughs) And besides... Lord Lord knows, Jim, we do enough stupid things. Yeah, and we can make fun of our own damn selves. That's right. Ads and Fads is a new segment where we present a trivia question from the 50s. Life certainly was simpler then. L-S-M-F-T were the initial letters of an advertising slogan for this product. It was printed on all packages and mentioned in TV ads. What was the slogan? We'll give the answer later in the podcast. G. Gordon Liddy died in late March this year at the age of 90. For boomers, it brought back memories of Watergate and the downfall of a president. This pot nugget is from the Washington Post for March 30th, 2021. Calling Liddy a colorful character may not be colorful enough. He was off the color spectrum. In his checkered career, he was a patent attorney, FBI agent, assistant district attorney, undercover political operative, lecturer, actor, radio talk show host, and, (laughs) of course, convicted felon. His rise to notoriety came with his role with the Committee to Re-Elect the President, which had the ironic acronym of CREEP. <laughs> his job was to organize intelligence activities against the Democrats. It was his unfortunate idea to bug the Democratic headquarters in the Watergate complex. The investigation of the break-in eventually implicated Richard Nixon in the cover-up. Liddy refused to testify before the Watergate grand jury, claiming he wasn't raised to be a snitch or a rat. His refusal led to a prison sentence. On his release, he published an autobiography called Will. In a review, Bob Woodward called the book a self-portrait of a zealot and his freedom from any guilt about what he did. In an unusual twist, Liddy teamed up with Timothy Leary, the former Harvard professor and recreational drug advocate, in a series of debates on college campuses in the early 80s. Success on the lecture circuit led to the G. Gordon Liddy Show, a radio talk show that was carried by over 270 stations. His macho posing and sarcastic wit brought him a large conservative following. 
He often boasted of his transformation from a puny, fearful boy to a strong, fearless man. He once said he believed in gun control. Hold the gun steadily and hit what you aim at. (laughs) He parlayed his fame as a minor character in the Watergate drama into a comfortable living. In his words, I'm very appreciative. I was an accident of history. Yes, accident indeed. Rest in peace, G. Gordon Liddy. Most of us have used the pandemic as an excuse to dress down. But one 82-year-old lady in Oklahoma still believes dressing up is important, especially for church. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for March 31, 2021. Laverne Ford Wimberly of Tulsa, Oklahoma, is a retired educator who always took pride in dressing up for church at Metropolitan Baptist Church. For years, everyone had known to look for me in the last row, Section 2, dressed to the nines. So, when the pandemic hit and church services went virtual, she decided she was going to continue dressing up anyway, even if she couldn't be there in person. So every Sunday, she gets up early, styles her hair, adds some makeup, and puts on the fancy outfit she has laid out the night before. She then posts a selfie in her outfit and a Bible verse to Facebook. Since last March, she's taken photos of herself in 53 different color-coordinated outfits. Each one is carefully chosen from the overflowing closets, jewelry cases, and neatly stacked hat boxes that fill her home. Her fashion photos have attracted a following. As she explains it, I started hearing from people everywhere who said my photos made them smile. The whole point was to inspire people and make them feel good, so I'm happy it's working. Her pastor said her impressive hat collection is an outer expression of her inner wisdom, wit, and grace. And the congregation looks forward to the time when she can again take her place in the sanctuary. Well, we old dogs salute Laverne Wimberly for howling at the moon with style. We have some interesting statistics from 2020. They tell a story about how COVID-19 affected our lives as we sheltered in place. This pod nugget is from Time Magazine for March 29th, April 5th, 2021. 40% of consumers tried home delivery apps or curbside pickup for the first time. Purchases of puzzles for home entertainment tripled, according to the Puzzle Warehouse. Vehicles traveled 430 billion fewer miles on U.S. roads. Two in five adults had to tap into savings or borrow money. 20% of adults were getting less sleep. 10% were getting more. I think that was me. That was me. 77% of kids ages 5 to 12 spent at least four hours a day on devices in August last year. 269,806 pets were adopted from rescue groups. In March, the average adult spent 13.5 hours per day looking at screens. Americans spent more time baking. Sales of yeast doubled last year. Hand sanitizer purchases were up 624% for the year. Home Depot sales increased 21% during 2020. Online sale of pajamas grew 143% from March to April, while sales of pants dropped 13%. (laughs) So as we sit here in our pajamas, unshaved and uncombed, waiting for DoorDash to arrive, we hope for a more promising year for the rest of 2021. 
Back in 1976, a professor of economic history at UC Berkeley published an essay outlining the five fundamental laws of stupidity. The author, Carlo Cipolla, warned that the only way a society can avoid being crushed by the burden of its idiots is through awareness of the laws of stupidity. This tongue-in-cheek pod nugget is from the website getpocket.com. Law number one. Always and inevitably, everyone underestimates the number of stupid individuals in circulation. The problem is compounded by assumptions that people are intelligent based on their appearance, their job, or their education. Law number two. The probability that a certain person is stupid is independent of any other characteristic of that person. Chipola suggests that stupidity remains constant across all populations. Every category of people, from nationality to income level to education, shares the same percentage of idiots. Law number three. A stupid person is a person who causes losses to another person or to a group of persons, while himself deriving no gain and even possibly incurring losses. Chipola calls this the golden rule of stupidity. The non-stupid are a flawed and inconsistent bunch, sometimes intelligent, sometimes selfish, and sometimes helpless. The stupid, however, are consistent in their unyielding idiocy. Law number four. Non-stupid people always underestimate the damaging power of stupid individuals. In particular, non-stupid people constantly forget that at all times and places and under any circumstances, to deal and or associate with stupid people always turns out to be a costly mistake. If we underestimate the stupid, we do so at our own peril. And finally, Paul... Law number five. A stupid person is the most dangerous type of person. Declining societies have the same percentage of stupid people as successful ones, but they have a high percentage of helpless people and selfish people with overtones of stupidity. (laughs) We must be aware of unspoken alliances among the helpless, the selfish, and the stupid. Yeah. Chipola created his five laws before the rise of social networking, or there would probably be a sixth law related to what people post on social networks, thinking that other people care about their thoughts. Or what they eat. (laughs) Once more, our ads and fads question is, what did the letters LSMFT stand for? And the answer is, lucky strike means fine tobacco. By the way, luckies were better because the tobacco was Was toasted. toasted. John Remington is a guy who has lived his whole life creatively. He has applied his special gifts to whatever he's pursued, including a long career in marketing and an equally long interest in the theater. As he eyes his next steps with a view to adding Italian citizenship, he reflects on where he's been and where he's going. You have really had a divided professional life, one foot in professional theater and the other foot in marketing. How has that worked out? Uh, it's worked out great, I think. Uh, you know, I've, I've exercised both sides of my brain pretty consistently. Um, and it started back when I uh, taught my advertising degree. So that was that side of it. But then also I was in theater in college. Then when I got to Minneapolis in the early 70s, I started out in retail, the advertising side, marketing side, and then just got involved with the improvisational theater piece of it when I met you. You have a very unusual master's degree. I do. Uh, Do you want to explain that? 
I made it up. Um, you know, I barely was able to. I, I was barely able to explain it in my thesis. Um, it's a master's in creativity and innovation, and the title of my thesis was "The Power of Play and How That Affects Every Decision You Make in Your Life." And you know, I really based a lot of it on what we learned doing improvisation. But you'd think that with a degree in creativity and innovation, you wouldn't even have to show up for classes. <laughs> Uh, well, you have had some, uh, I would say, challenging, prestigious jobs. Uh, tell us about working for the Tribeca Film Festival. Well, I left um, early retirement uh, from Target, and that was in 2007. I had a pretty significant job at Target. I was VP of communications and, and events marketing. So I was the, the media spokesperson. So I was in New York. We had an apartment in New York. And we, we lived there a lot because uh, that's where all the media is. So, I mean, I had made a lot of different uh, contacts. So when I left Target, uh, I just opened it up to the people that I knew. And we had been a sponsor of the Tribeca Film Festival. They basically wanted to use my expertise as far as branding and expanding beyond the, the festival. I mean, I was there for a year. Um, traveling back and forth between uh, Minneapolis and, and New York. And and from there, you went to St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis, right? That was a, a kind of a big change, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. Again, it goes back to the contacts that I had made involved with Target. And there, um, when I was still at Target, we developed more than a sponsorship. It was a partnership with St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital where we uh, developed Target House, which were um, living units for um, the kids who are at St. Jude. They're going to be there for 18 months longer. Marlo had developed this campaign called Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving was bringing in, you know, around $30 million. But by the time I left, we were making about $120 million uh, a season as far as Thanksgiving went. So it was something I'm very proud of. At one point, I had an apartment in, in Memphis, an apartment in New York, and our house in, in Minnesota. And I would just go back, uh, come home on the weekends. And when I left St. Jude, then I really just jumped back in both feet to theater. And within a couple of three years, you know, been in 12 different productions and that kind of a thing when the theaters were open. So that's been fun, too, because you get to know a lot of different uh, theater people around town. Well, that's interesting that you went back to acting. I wonder, was it because the climate of retail was changing? Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, you know, you got to change. And I think that um, like when I left Marshall Fields, you could just feel, you could just see the department store aspect of all this, you know, was changing uh, and not in a positive way. And, uh, but then going to Target, you know, then you got your big box. So you got Walmart and Target and Kmart and, and all those kind of, it's a whole different dynamic. So I was able to play in that sandbox for, you know, quite a few years. Um, uh, but even that was changing. So it's just it's just inevitable, I think, that, you know, with modern times, you just have to um, change with them. And that's where the whole social networking thing and the online experience became more important than brick and mortar. And now with COVID, here we are on Zoom, you know, and, and uh, you know, and I just I just did a, a play, uh, a Zoom play uh, for streaming. Purpose. So every, the whole dynamic is just changing. And I don't know that it's ever going to go back to the way it was, you know, that way. Um, as far as walking to a store and shopping or going into a theater and playing. Yeah, except how do you shoplift online? That's a tough one. 
Well, I mean, people do it. You know, people <laughs> our age probably people our age probably have a little bit harder time. Uh, but you kind of just have to adjust with it. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you go back ten years and people go, "Oh, I don't want to shop for clothes online because I can't try them on." And now it's just like my daughter is; she just turned forty, and you know, she and it's no big deal. They just they order shit, they get it in their house, and if it doesn't work, they send it back. Yeah. Because they got all the labels they need and the boxes they need, and they just send it back. And you know, and I'm going, oh God, I don't send this back, you know. But that's them, and that's that's the difference in age, right there. John, it's really fascinating to talk about what you have done. Uh, what are you up to right now? Well, for the last year and a half, uh, I've started working on um, dual citizenship. My grandparents are Italian on my mom's side, and um, ancestry by Italians is by blood it's not by where you were born and my son in the meantime <clears throat> coincidentally had a has a girlfriend who's from rome and uh we decided to go for dual citizenship so it was a year of gathering you have to gather these documents and they have to be not the original ones but the certified ones you have to get them certified which means sending them to people who, and who get it that done and then they send them back to you and then you know my grandfather on his birth certificate was concilio and on his Coming over to Ellis Island, it was deconcilio and little things like that. And that this takes months to figure out well. And hopefully by fall, we'll have uh, dual citizenship, which means Italian citizenship, which also means EU citizenship. So I, while I've been doing that, I've also been doing, again, with COVID, doing a lot of um, online streaming, you know, doing a lot of theater, doing a lot of monologues, doing a lot of uh, instant theater. They call it instant theater, but, um, you know, they, they send out playwrights write monologues and then you get cast and you perform them and that's edited into a you know a program all within a week's time period uh and sometimes i've done it where it's only a weekend so you basically have you know that long a time to to get familiar with the script and that kind of thing so i just finished that yesterday well john in all of this online acting has there been anything that you've experienced that was say unexpected that's a good question um but I've never been a huge fan of uh, of Shakespeare, and when the when the COVID thing started um, last actually last March April, um, four actors who came out of the Rhinebeck Performing Arts Center, which I did in a lot of plays, with um, they developed something called Living Room Shakespeare. I would say about twenty of us joined that group, and then they assigned a Shakespearean play, and um, you tell them you're interested or doing it or not doing it, and uh, and then they uh, assign parts, and sometimes there's more than one. Sometimes you play a woman, which I love. That was great. And uh, and then you do them on Facebook, and they stream them, and then they use them as a fundraiser. Now I love Shakespeare. I think it's you know terrific. You mentioned that your background in improvisation is something that you have used pretty much ongoing in your life. And I would say, looking yeah. at your resume, it looks like you said yes to a lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. How, how has that affected your outlook? Well, it was just a question of, it's like when, you know, Tribeca came to me or when St. Jude came to me, my first reaction just to myself was, no, I, you know, I'm not a fundraiser. But then immediately I kicked into, no, I can do that. I mean, I will do this and then I can bring in those other people again and use their expertise. But you, as that kind of producer, director, uh, can pull all those pieces together and make them into something that's going to be effective for whatever that objective is that you're trying to achieve. 
So, how are you going to divide your time between Italy and、uh, your current home in upstate New York? So our feeling is is that we find some kind of place where we can all be together, and we're in Italy for six months of the year, and then the rest of the time in in upstate New York. Hopefully, work on theater. And my my next thought was this is just popped into my head. Oh, you know when COVID gets better, and I'm going to look up、uh, English American theater in Italy、hmm. and see if they have any kind of organizations or different things there where I can get involved in theater. John, I have a rather personal question for you.、Uh, Do you ever have people come up to you and ask, "Are you Steve Martin?" <laughs> all the time, all the time. How do you handle that? I, very proud. Yeah, I just say, "Are you Steve Martin?" It's like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. I am. <laughs> See, he, this is a guy who says yes. You are obviously enjoying life these days, and uh, uh, continue. Maybe someday we could share a meal in Italy. I would love that. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.